Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, a brief perusal of our hymns uh, will maybe indicate to you and the lections that this is Christ the King Sunday. Um, It's the last Sunday in our church year. Uh, We begin a new church year next Sunday, uh, December 1st, the first Sunday in Advent. So our colors will change, our service will change, we'll have some new things added in, uh, some different words, just to kind of change us up a bit and realize that we're going into a different season. But for now, we're concentrating on Christ, who is King. If I were to say the word king in a worldly sense, what immediately might come to mind for you? I imagine if you're a history buff, you might uh, go to Henry VIII, or you might go to Ferdinand and Isabella, uh, the time of Columbus, or maybe the Sun King in France, Louis the 14th or Louis the 16th. Um, Those might be some images that come to mind with the word king in a worldly sense. Or if you're a literature or a movie buff, maybe Shakespeare. He wrote a lot about kings. My favorite, of course, is Henry V and that stirring speech before the Battle of Agincourt where uh, the British forces were hugely outnumbered by the French forces, and yet uh, the British won the day. And uh, if you've ever seen that movie with Kenneth Branagh in there, um, it's, it's just an amazing movie in that speech. This is St. Crispin's Day on this day. And, well, I'll let you go and look in your Shakespeare for, for, the, for the full speech or go and watch Kenneth Branagh in, uh, in Henry V. Um, and then, of course, you know, in the movies on the other side, on the flip side of the coin, you might remember Joan of Arc and the Dauphin, the French king. And then, of course, the English were routed in that movie. So we got our comeuppance. Um, or if you like the things like the Lord of the Rings, there are the kings of Rohan uh, and the returning king Aragorn, who is the king of Isildur. But all of those images uh, come up with battle scenes for me. I don't know if they do with you, but, but all of those that I've talked about, there's a lot of blood, guts, Uh, A lot of axes, spears, bow and arrows, swords, uh, just an incredible amount of mayhem and bloodshed. And often it is the good pitted against the bad, and you're rooting for the good to win. Um, How many of the bad can they slaughter before the bad are actually overcome? But you see, God's way of being king is completely different. It is night and day. God's way of being king is a very, very different way. Jeremiah prophesies this way. 
The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David, great King David, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. A very different king. I don't think any of us have ever lived under a monarch, not the absolute monarchs that we see in history. Well, one has, um, but I haven't lived under an absolute monarch. I've lived under a constitutional monarch, very different. Uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth and her father before her, and back through to 1668, all of the kings since that time are constitutional, which means they're titular heads of state, but they really don't have a lot of the powers of an absolute monarch. Back in Henry VIII's day, and before him, and all of the kings, um, they could, by decree, just say, you're going to jail, or you're going to be beheaded. In fact, Henry did it quite frequently with wives. So you actually were intimidated into obedience. Um, you were a subject because that's just the way life was. We don't know what that's like here. We're very used to our independence. Um, the closest perhaps we ever got um, was during JFK's presidency when words were used like Camelot. And of course, Camelot evokes the legendary King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. However, had, uh, had JFK ever taken absolute power in the way that absolute monarchs reigned, he would not have stayed as president for very long at all. Because that's just not in our frame of mind. We figure that we've always got a voice. We've got a say. We're so used to a democratic way of life that it's incredibly difficult for us to shift our minds into any other way of being. Being a subject to somebody, being subjected to their way of doing things, that's completely foreign for us. And we kind of, you know, don't like the idea of that terribly either. But we are called to subject ourselves to this king. But he's different. Because he doesn't coerce our obedience. He does not use intimidation or fear for us to obey him. He is the most powerful there is nobody, there is nothing who has more power than our God. After all, he created all things. He parted the Red Sea. 
he brought plagues on Egypt. Kingdoms rise and fall at his command. He is all-powerful, and yet he does not use intimidation to draw us to him, for us to be willing subjects of this king. For this king is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord, is our righteousness. And his way of being king is to execute justice and righteousness in the land and to deal wisely with his people. And we know that Jesus is this king, king of kings and lord of lords. On the place called the skull, where he was crucified, there was a titulum, a title bar above him that read, This is the King of the Jews. When has a king died to conquer? Never. In the annals of history, has a king's shed blood and his death brought victory in a battle except with this king. This all-powerful king who created all that there is, heaven and earth, who holds heaven and earth together in his person, who reconciles heaven and earth on the cross. He chose nails on a cross rather than coercive, intimidating power. The God, the King, who commands the angel armies, told them, you cannot come and rescue me. Stand back. He went to his death, but the angels were there at his command to come and rescue. But they did not. That wonderful image in Revelation. He sees a rider on a white horse. And there are thousands upon thousands of the angel army behind him. And on his thigh is written his name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, because he conquered through death, not by the might of his sword, but through his death. His reign comes about because he died to win the battle us. The one who created and seemed gold in the earth chose a crown of thorns instead of a crown of gold. The one who had glory before the earth began chose not to grasp it, not to take it unto himself, but instead knelt at his disciples' dirty, dusty feet 
and washed them. Where has ever before a king come into his kingdom and won a battle by dying except this king? Because he wants to win our hearts by his love. He wins us as his subjects because of his sacrificial love, because this king's character is self-sacrificial love, is humility and is servanthood. It is not coercive power. And he invites us to come in and to be co-heirs with him in his kingdom rule, in his reign, co-heirs with Christ, but not to lord it, not to be coercive, not to batter people over the head, but by mirroring the very character of this king, by sacrificial love, by humility, and by servanthood. That's the way his subjects are to be in his kingdom where his will is done, where the will of God comes and breaks into the darkness of the present world. Jesus says to his followers, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, same word for the same meaning, has come near. It is amongst you. You see, in Jesus, both heaven and earth are joined together. He is the man from heaven, but he is born of the earth. And in him, the ways of heaven, that prayer that we pray in the Our Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, comes completely in Jesus. And then through those who would subject themselves to his kingship, to his way, to his rule, to his way of bringing in a kingdom of light into a kingdom of darkness. See, his way of kingship is an upside-down way. It's not the way the world goes about doing things. There's no earthly king that's died and won a battle. It's upside down. Actually, it's right side up. Because our ways are upside down ways. Our ways are ways of darkness and we get complicit with the ways of the world. But God's ways, because he created all that there is, are the right side up ways. So if his way of being is by dying to win the battle... That's the right-side-up way of being. But it takes our mind to get around that, doesn't it? It takes a leap to get around that. We're so used to living according to the world's ways. But God's ways are the right-side-up ways. And he calls us to submit ourselves to his reign, to his rule, to his righteous rule, to his just rule, 
to his way of reigning. Paul says this to the church. He says, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's moved us from darkness into light. His death has won the battle over darkness. His death has won the battle over sin. His death has brought for us new life, eternal life, never-ending life, life in the light, not life in darkness. That's the battle won. His blood cleanses. His shed blood turns that which is dirty into pure white snow. And so Paul's prayer is that we are strengthened to persevere with the glorious power of God. We've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom that he has brought with him, but is not yet perfectly as it will be. In him, says Paul, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, not just us, all things, a fallen creation. He's reconciled all things, whether on earth or in heaven, all things reconciled by making peace through the blood of his cross. A king who sheds his blood and dies to win the battle. And we are to continue. We are to continue as his subjects to spread that right side up kingdom word. We are to go out and look at the world and see all its upside downness and bring it right side up because with us comes that light because when we are in Christ, his kingdom rule is within us. He comes and dwells within us. He says the kingdom of heaven is amongst you. It's come near. It is in you. It is going forward, not in its fullness, but we are to persevere until the king returns until the true king returns and he has promised that he will do so the son of man he says in Matthew's gospel will come in his glory and all the angels with him that wonderful image of the king of kings and lord of lords on his white horse with all of the angel armies the son of man will come in his glory and all the angels with him and then he will sit on his glorious throne and then he will sit on his glorious throne no more upside down world right side up everything brought back perfectly 
as God created it to be before sin came up and made it all upside down. John, Peter, John in his revelation, Peter in his epistles, Paul throughout his letters says this, The Lord has promised and his promise will be fulfilled, a new heaven and a new earth in which there is no evil, but rather only his righteousness dwells. The battle is won. It's not fully as it will be, but it will be fully as he has promised. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.